Welcome to the Columbia Church Sermon Podcast. We're so excited to share this weekend's message with you from Dr. Jim Bauckham, our senior pastor. We hope it encourages you, inspires you, and helps you grow in your faith as a whole life disciple. Enjoy the message. Hey friends, if you've been here a while, you remember seeing that box before. I don't know how long it's been ago. It's been years that Chris remembered it. Tells you how powerful imagery is because I was doing this series I think on, 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 it was one of the Potter's uh, uh, scriptures in the Old Testament, and uh, I had this great idea, so I was in worship planning, and I told uh, the team, I said, hey, I'm going to break these giant, uh, uh, these giant pots on the stage, and, uh, and Butch King looked at me like I had three heads. He said, you ain't going to break no pot on my stage. I said, yeah, I am. I'm going to bust it right there. It's going to go everywhere. He goes, no, nah, you're not going to do that. I said, well, what is your suggestion? He said, I'm going to make you a box. A Butch King made that box right there. So anyway, I got to tell you, we should let all of you come and do this, though it is a little dangerous. This shard right here from the previous service landed in my seat right there where I was sitting uh, before. So I hope you guys in the front are, I'm glad the orchestra moved. There are pieces on the floor here. And it's cathartic though, and I got carried away. You might remember this in the first service, and I slammed that thing down in there, and pottery just went everywhere. It went all, which I thought was awesome. <clears throat> so I get into the worship ser- uh, planning the following week, and I said, so what did you guys think? I mean, that was a powerful moment, right? And Butch looked at me and said, I should have made a bigger box. So there have been a lot of series uh, since I've been here. Some of you have heard a lot of series, some good ones, not some uh, great ones probably. And, uh, and in two weeks, we're going to start a new one called Real ID that's about uh, it's, it's, it's as culturally relevant as anything I think we've preached in a while, and we try to always be relevant, but I think this is going to be particularly so. And I hope that you'll use that as an opportunity to bring some folk in uh, to hear what it means to have our identity in Christ, what it means to be a child of God and how that really affects us. So that's two weeks from today. We start a new series. Before we do, we're going to land this one. And uh, so today I'll deal with the last attribute from Psalm 89 of God's heart. Next week, Chris and I will wrap this whole thing up with a summary uh, sermon, and then uh, we'll be off to the races with, uh, with a new series. I'm always excited about it. I hate to see some go once in a while, but I'm always excited about a new beginning and a new opportunity to explore the Scriptures in, in a new way. Now today, as I consider the last, I'll just tell you up front, the last as- aspect of God's heart that I'm going to explore is faithfulness. And I'm going to be eventually getting to Mark chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles with you, you've got an iPad, an iPhone, whatever it is you read on, uh, be in the middle of Mark 11. You'll be in the right place because I think I will help you. I know I've been helped to understand the Scripture, the words of Jesus in a whole new way, in a much broader and much more in, intriguing way. But before I do that, I need you to help me sort of get warmed up for this. The last group, I got to tell you, they were awfully sleepy this morning. I think part of it is allergies. Did you know February 8th, it was the earliest recorded ever high pollen day alert in this area, in this region, and I needed no meteorologist to tell me that. My nose and my eyeballs told me that. Anybody with me on this? So somebody just hit me up after the last service. They said, I'm at home because I'm feeling terrible. I've been sick for two weeks. And you, 
suddenly I figured out it was allergies. That's the one thing they got out of my sermon. So anyway, uh, that's it. So you got to help me get warmed up here. So you know how to do this rating game, right? On a, on a scale of one to 10, what is something? You know how to do that? So, you know, uh, there's an old trick that I learned at a marriage retreat. You ask your spouse, men, this is men asking their wives. Women tend to be the barometers of the relationship. So we say on a scale of one to 10, where's our relationship? And they give you an answer, and then you ask, what would it take us to get to a 10? And uh, so I started doing that, but I quit after a while because I never got over or under an 8 in all my years of asking. And finally, I said to Debbie, honey, every time I ask you, give me an 8. I mean, are we better than we were 10 years ago? And she goes, yeah, but I expect more now. So, uh, you know, so that's, that's, uh, that's, that's how it goes. So on a scale of 1 to 10, this is the question. Listen carefully because it's not how good is this thing. It's how reliable or consistent is this thing. Okay, how, how faithful, if you will, is this particular thing in your life or does it need to be? So when I put it up, you say, that needs to be X. Here's my number. You're going to holler it out and, uh, and you're going to say, this is what I think. This is how excellent, how dependable, how consistent this thing needs to be in my life. So this is a new car, Bob. And so this is a new, so this is your car. Whatever your car looks like, this is the most commonly driven car in the United States of America, Toyota Camry. Uh, I don't have one of these. My car is 15 years old, uh, going on 16. Relatively low mileage for that, but I'm just going to tell you, it's, I, I decided a few years ago, reported to my friend, even to you, I said, I'm just not going to care about cars anymore. If they get me from point A to point B, it's money down a rat hole. I do not care what I drive as long as it's dependable. But my car has needed some major repairs and yet I would give it a pretty good number. It's 15 years old. It's never left me on the side of the highway. And it's been pretty dependable. So I'd give it a pretty good number. So your car, this is not just what you would give it. What does it need to be? One to 10 in terms of reliability, consistency. Ready? One, two, three. You know, a 10. Some people said 10. Really? A 10. You're asking for a lot. I mean, I, I don't think the most dependable car in Consumer Reports survey that they just released is going to rate a 10. They're going to break down from time to time. If you're like me, you've got an older car, you need a guy. I got a guy. He's in Fredericksburg. A little hard to get my car there, but he's inexpensive and he's so good. It takes him forever, but he finds everything that's wrong, fixes it well. And so, you know, I would say something like a six or a seven for this particular thing. It needs to be about a seven. You know what I mean? If it breaks down once in a while, it's to be expected. You agree? It's to be expected. I know I'm going to have to fix it, maintain it, repair it. But if I'm driving down the road and one thing is not working quite right, and yet the car will still go, I'm, I'm liable not to address that immediately. My grandfather, Papa Winky was his name. He was quite a character. He drove Buicks, and uh, his Buicks always had noises. I think every Buick back then had a noise. His particular one, the one I remember was a big white Buick. I don't remember what, what it was, LeSabre or something, but it, it, it made a noise. And so when I would get it, I think it was just a fan in the HVA system or something, but I was a kid. And I'd get in the car with him, you know, sit in the front, no seat belt, bench seat, in front of a Buick. That's what we did back then. And uh, I'd get in the car and I'd say to him, Papa Winky, your car's still making that noise. And he'd say, that's how you know it's working. So, you know, didn't buy but let me ask you about this one in comparison to that one, okay? How about that one? Oh, come 11, right? Somebody said 11. 
That's gotta be a 10, am I right? I mean, that's gotta work every time. You don't get into this and it's making a funny noise and you go, eh, probably no big deal. You don't do that, right? And when they, they don't ever get on the loudspeaker and say, folks, we got a little problem with the engines, but we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna go. We're gonna leave, you know? I mean, if the cigarette lighter doesn't work on this, I want it fixed before I get off the ground, okay? I want, I want this to be a 10. Now, it's intriguing because mechanically, this is a much more complex device than this, and yet it's similar in some ways. I mean, some of the concepts are similar. I, this is a mechanical device, and it does break down. I, I know you don't wanna hear this, but... These things do bust, and, and when they do, it can be catastrophic. It can be a bad deal, and so the difference is the scrutiny of the maintenance. I mean, not a single time is this not checked out carefully before you get off the ground, or at least you pray that that's, that that's the case in, in this world. Uh, so this has got to be a 10. You see how this works? Because everything is relative when it comes to how dependable, how consistent a thing is. Okay, so here's, here's a simple one. This, for those of you who don't know, this is an old-fashioned egg timer, okay? We don't use these much anymore because you got your phone, you got your virtual assistant uh, to ask, hey, you know, do this is what we do at my house. You got, you got, you got your watch, you got, you, you know, you got other things, but you might, who's got still one kind of like this or one of the dial things? You still got one, right? And, you know, it, it, it's, it, it usually works. But if it doesn't, let's say, you know, these break, you go to Dollar Tree, you get another one. That's, that's how it goes. So these break, how, on a scale of one to 10, how dependable, consistent does this need to be? Holler it out. Okay, fives and sixes. You guys are not playing the game. Okay, if you're not, if you, you got to play to win. Just so you know, if you're not going to play, you just leave. Okay, so scale one to 10, what does this need to be? Okay, five or six or seven. Nobody said 10 because it's no big shakes if this busts. I mean, you know, if it breaks, all right, I go get another one. Maybe my egg gets, gets over-hardened, whatever, however that is. I don't know, a super hard-boiled egg. Maybe, uh, maybe the cake burns, but you can cook another one. It's no crisis unless company's coming, whatever the case may be. And not only that, but I kind of have an internal clock you know, I don't, I'm not a, the best chef in the world, but I can cook, and a gym can cook, and when I cook, I kind of have an internal sense. I, I know what it's supposed to look like. I, I kind of have a sense of how, e- even sometimes I'll, I'll override the timer because it doesn't look right. You do this, or you know, it's just not quite right yet. Not only that, but I do have a watch, and, and I do have a clock, and so there are other ways. It's not a big deal, you know, five, six, something like that. But this is your alarm clock, and you've got a big interview in the morning. The most, important, uh, the most important meeting of your life is in the morning. Uh, you're getting married in the morning. Uh, whatever the case may be, uh, uh, this is your alarm clock. So on a scale of 1 to 10, give this a number. Okay, somebody said 11 again. Somebody's like down there. Everything got to be an 11. Got to work all the time. No, okay, this is like, this is like an 8 or a 9, right? This is, this is important. Now, you may say, well, I don't even use that anymore. I, had, I got you covered. I got you covered. I got you covered. This is how some of you wake up. Uh, We use the virtual assistant again. But you know, uh, this has got to work because if you use this, um, you know, what you know is that there could be that morning that you, you, you wake up and you feel surprisingly good. Like 
like you went to bed early or got extra sleep or something like that. And then the sun seems to be a little higher on the horizon than it usually is when you get up. You've had this happen, right? And, and you go uh, and you look at the alarm clock and it did not go off. And that excuse never works. No one ever believes it. And so you know you're in trouble. This has happened to you before because it has happened to me. You slept through an exam. You slept through something that's a nightmare. That's terrible. This has got to work. You, you got you to be waked up when you got to be waked up. So it's vital. By the way, um, I think that, you know, the next piece of Columbia swag, I've got to tell Laura Gravitt, she's the swag queen. Uh, so um, I've got to tell her the next piece of Columbia swag needs to be a Columbia alarm clock for everybody who is late to worship. <laughs> yes, I mean you. And um, if you walked in late today, but we're going to give them out selectively. So if you receive one, tell you something. Okay, so that's, that's going to be the thing. All right, how about, how about this one? Okay, it's just a, like an everyday, ordinary, maybe outdoor faucet, something like that. Wait, one to ten. I'm going to get off this stage. Maybe you go, good. Okay, so one to ten. All right, see some threes. Here's seven. Danny, you need, you need water when you need it. Okay, I got you. All right, but mostly out there, I heard threes, four, five, something like that. You know, faucet breaks, no big deal. You got one at your house that has leaked for years. It's not, not any big deal. Goes off for a while. I'm not afraid I'm going to run out of water. Now, if the water stopped, a big deal. But, you know, it's just faucet, no big deal. But I think you'll understand this one immediately because if this goes out... <laughs> right? I mean, you know, it can break, but not when you really need it, right? So when you need a flush, it's got to happen. So, you know, this goes out, the ramifications are huge. So give me a number, one to 10. You got excited about that one. You got interested in that one. Okay. So, you know, you want them to work. I mean, especially like in a big building like this, when one's not working, you know it fast. You're down the hall and you're like, the toilet's not working somewhere. Okay. So this, this is needs to be a little more dependable. This is going to get weird because I didn't realize how weird until I watched this presentation, but I didn't change it. So, you know, it doesn't look strange on your head, but dismembered, it looks a little odd. (laughs) Is that the ugliest thing God ever created? That's an ear. That's just a human ear. Okay, scale of one to 10. Give me a number. Okay, some people are saying 10, but I think this is going to be in comparison to something else. You're not going to say that. So, look, people are born. These don't work. They manage. It's hard, but, but they can compensate. That human beings are able to adapt. You get older. I know this hasn't happened to you. Neither has it happened to me, though my wife says it has. It's not true, but, but these don't work as well. Anybody out there going to say, yes, Lord, I, I see that. I see that, hand. if you'll confess I, I will confess it's true. I don't hear quite as well as I once did. This is the consequence of assorted youth at rock concerts. So, um, and probably a lot of worship down here in the front row too, which sets my watch off all the time, usually at the 1115 service, by the way. So when we look at, look at this and you say, I give this an eight. It's vital. It's important. You need it. You know, but, but if I compare it to this, Give me a number. This is, the, this is the jetliner of the human body. It can't crash. It can't burn. If this stops, I, I, I just, maybe you don't know these things, but I'm here to teach you a little, you know, complex medical stuff. 
If this stops, you're done. Now, Linda, you're a doctor. Am I right about this? If this stops, you're out. You're out of commission. You're going to heaven. That's it. So, well, at least some of you are. So anyway, that's, this is vital. This, this is a 10, you know? Now, you know, some things are ones and some things are tens. Like, you know, we are able to adapt and we are able to accept a certain level of complexity in life and we're able to understand that not everything is going to work all the time. We don't work all the time either. We're not tens. We're not always that reliable. We're not always that consistent. Or can I use the word faithful? Sometimes we don't rank a 10 and in fact, I would say seldom. Do I ever come close to a 10? And speaking of me, give this a rating. How consistent and reliable does this need to be? Give me a number. <laughs> oh, go, go to another church. This ain't going to work. This will not work for you at Columbia. Okay, look, I, I, you know, seven, eight, maybe, you know, I'm the egg timer of preachers. I mean, you... you there's going to be some time that you leave a worship service and you just, you say to the person that you're with, you go, you know, that just really wasn't very good. Um, Jim didn't really, he didn't really get it for me today, you know. And they'll say, well, I didn't think it was terrible. You know, it's something like, that's generous. It wasn't, it wasn't awful. Like, like, I only fell asleep five times. So anyway, that's, that's, and you know, I might let you down. I may not be there at exactly the right time, for which I always beg your forgiveness. I may say the wrong thing. I may do the wrong thing. I may make a mistake. I mean, that's what we do. So, um, you know, we can, we can live with that. And I can live with you like that because, because that's grace. That's love. But, but by comparison, I, I can't even, there's no picture for this. There's a word for this that couldn't even be spoken in the Hebrew community for thousands of years. And we say it because Jesus taught us to say it, but this is God. One to ten. Would you give it to me? It's got to be a ten. There is no eleven in a one to ten. Okay? <laughs> this is ten out of ten. This is a hundred out of hundred. This is a thousand out of thousand. This is a million out of a million. It's a billion out of a billion. It's a trillion out of a trillion. This has to, this has to happen every time. I mean, there is no such thing as belief or, or real faith unless we can absolutely depend on the consistency of God, on the reliability of God, that God is always who God says He is, that He always fulfills His Word. I, I taught you, and some people loved it, some people hated it. There is no place in Scripture where pro the word promise is really actually used in the Hebrew or the Greek relative to God because He fulfills His word. Human beings break their promise, but God's word never returns void. How often is never? Zero. Never. The essence of God's nature is His faithfulness. The essence of God, historically speaking, theologically speaking, 
If theologians talk about God, they are going to get around to love and they're going to get around to justice and they're going to get around to righteousness and they're going to get around to wisdom, these other qualities of the heart of God I've preached about, but they will tell you the first order of business is to deal with what we call God's faithfulness because unless God is consistently all those things, then they really don't matter. Am I right? They don't count. God never violates who God is. God never lets us down. You could say he never takes a day off. He never takes a vacation. He never stops for a break. Not once, not ever, never has, never will. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 5, 17 recorded. Jesus said, my father is always at work right up to this very day. And I too am working. Now, that's a kind of a cool thing to say about God, isn't it? God always works. He always works. Everything else I put up there is going to fail at some point, including me. I'm not going to work all the time. God always works, and He does so with vigor. So we say that God is faithful. Now, let's explore that word for a minute because it is a fascinating term. Let's think about it, but Let's think about it differently than we have before. So I'm going to introduce you to a couple of uh, foreign words, one Hebrew, one Greek, because I want to tell you what the Bible says about this. If the Old Testament writers speak about the faithfulness of God, the word they will most often use, not always, but most often is the word chesed. Chesed is an impossible word to translate into English with one word or even one sentence. You need at least a paragraph to talk about chesed. It's it's not a word that has an English equivalent. It doesn't even have a Greek equivalent, by the way. It is a very vivid, picturesque word. But I can summarize that word by calling this God's covenant love. That is the love that sustains God's end of the covenant, the bargain, if you will, even when we fail on our end. It is that love for us that is unending, unfailing. It is faithful love. It is consistent love. It is that kind of love that means that God will always fulfill his word even when we do not, which is a rather remarkable thing. And it is perhaps what separates God most from us, right? Because sometimes we can, we can have our moments, but we're unlikely to have our hours. And it's almost never that we have our days, And we never, ever have our weeks. And good gracious, who's ever had a year? God always rises to the occasion. He always jumps the bar. He always always fulfills. He always is faithful. So this is God's covenant love. And it also can be interpreted or translated as constant mercy. So God's mercy is constantly flowing, His grace. Now hold on to this because everything I'm going to talk about today depends on God's mercy and grace. There are a couple of other words in Hebrew for mercy and grace, but chesed captures the essence of God's mercy and grace. It's not that God has mercy sometimes. He's got mercy how often? Thank God. It's not that God has grace sometimes. He has it all the, all the time. Thank, thank God. Because we depend on it. We need it. It, it keeps us in the air. 
In the New Testament, the term that is most often used and the term that is, in fact, translated faith is pistis. It's a great word. It is a much more precise word because Greek is a far more precise language. But the word pistis is pretty easily translated into faith, except that faith is hard to understand. And so in that sense, it can still be a bit vague. But a form of this word, if modified, means faithful. Now, interestingly enough, the word chesed is never used to refer to human beings. So in the Old Testament, it is never said that human beings display or possess chesed or covenant love because we constantly waver, we're fickle, we fail, but God, on the other hand, always possesses chesed. He's the one who has this covenant love that sustains us. We respond to that love. But in the New Testament, we get a little different picture, and not surprisingly, because Jesus makes accessible to us that which was inaccessible to us, right? So when Jesus comes, now the word pistis can be applied to us, and a modification of that word can be applied to us, so we can be called faithful. But the word pistis all by itself is never applied to God, so we would never say God has faith. That would be a silly thing to say. God has faith in himself. Is no less silly than how our culture talks about our having faith in ourselves, which is preposterous. Having faith in oneself is a preposterous statement. It makes zero sense theologically, etymologically, uh, philosophically. You, you choose it. This is a modern invention on our part that we can look at ourselves, decide we're okay, and just say, you know what? I'm going to have faith in me. I, I got faith. I don't need to have faith in anything. I got faith in me. Good luck. I got very little faith in me. Are you like this? I got confidence, but it's rooted in the gift of God that is called faith. And that's a very different thing. God is never said to have faith, but God is often said to be faithful. So this word modified can refer to God. So, for example, Paul says, and these are just two of many references in the Bible, God is, say it with me, God's faithful, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, or the author of Hebrews says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for He who promised is faithful. So God's full of that which we can possess in part. God is full of that which we can hold to in part. God is full of that which we can attain in part. So there is an endless supply of faithfulness in God. There is an endless well of faithfulness in God. It cannot be tapped out. It cannot be extinguished. You'll never run out of it. The author of Hebrews offers us probably the most famous biblical description of faith, and you take it for granted, many of you, because like me, you drank this in your mother's milk and you learned it. You memorized it. So if somebody asks me about faith, and I'll say, well, you know, the author of Hebrews says faith is confidence in what we hope for. It's assurance in what we do not see. Can I assure you that anyone who does not have faith that any person who does not believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord will rightly respond to me, that is the most preposterous thing I've ever heard anybody say. But the author of Hebrews says it. 
It's confidence in what we hope for. Isn't the very definition of something you hope for something you, you, you wish strongly will happen, but you're not confident it will, otherwise it'd be something other than hope, right? Am I right? And yet, somehow, the author of Hebrews says it's confidence in what we hope for, which means something happens in the context of belief in Jesus Christ that does not happen normally or naturally. And we attain to a confidence in things like the resurrection of the dead, a new heaven and a new earth, a life after death, the capacity to love beyond human love. These things are things we are confident of in ways that a person who does not possess faith cannot understand. Faith is the confidence of what we hope for. But the second part is almost as silly. It's the assurance of things we do not see. I mean, somebody comes back from some vacation they took in some antebellum mansion, and they tell you, I am absolutely sure I saw a ghost. And you go, oh, that's awesome. But in your mind, you think, you are whack. <laughs> You're crazy. Well, what makes you think you saw it? Well, I saw, first of all, the blinds in the window moved. I felt a little cold, and the book I was reading was turned to a different page. And you go, <laughs> check you in. Right? No. How is this possible? Well, look what the author of Hebrews says next. This is what the ancients were commended for. So first of all, since time immemorial, there have been some people who have seen things differently. We call that faith. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was made out of what was not visible. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, what that means is that we're seeing the world in a different way. In theology, we call this creatio ex nihilo, that God created out of nothing. That is a statement of faith. Not a single one of you who is a scientist can prove that it's true. But you see the world differently. So you're driving down towards Virginia Tech. You're driving down towards southwest Virginia. You see a mountain vista. In fact, occasionally you say to one another, I miss the mountains, don't you? You're dry, you see a mountain vista, and when you see it, you say to everyone who's present or no one who is present, you go, oh, Lord, you are mighty, and you are great, and you are good, and that is, that is excellent and beautiful, and it's because you are good. You say that. But another person, a scientist perhaps, drives down the road and they see that and they go, isn't it remarkable how the tectonic plate shifted and created that upheaval that now we call a mountain? It's both. But the first is true because of faith. Because you have come to understand that the evidence presented to you surely cannot be explained in either way, any other way, except that there is a God who is faithful and consistent and you know him to be loving and true. See? So what happens is that with faith, we interpret the evidence around us differently and we see God moving where others do not. And when we respond to God in constant prayer, what we are doing is acknowledging in every moment, what I see, Lord, is a reflection of your work in this world the way that you're moving, the way that you're acting. And for those of you who are sitting there right now and you're going, yeah, well, I don't know about that, it's because you have not yet tasted a faith. It is because 
You have not yet tasted and seen what faith does in your life. In Ephesians, Paul tells us that faith is a gift. Thank God, because we cannot please God without faith, the author of Hebrews said. Paul says in chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Grace and faith, closely attached. Hang on to that. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. You can't attain it. You can't make it up. You can't just say, I'm going to have faith and, and therefore have it. It's not by your works so that you will never be able to boast about faith. Now, this tells us that faith comes from where? The heart of I think it's when we receive God's love, we receive a measure of faith. That it is a product of our love relationship with Him, but our connection, the connection of our hearts to God's heart, means that we are tapping into an endless flow of faith. Not only is it endless for our own lives, but it is so endless that it flows right on through us and into the lives of others. And not only that, but it goes back to God. So hang on to that because I'll come back to it. Paul said, pray continually. He said in another place, be constant in prayer. I've been teaching you that the word for ceasingless prayer or intermissionless prayer is adiolibtos, which means without interruption or uninterrupted. And I told you that the New Testament word for prayer is prosikimai, which means Toward, turning toward God. It can mean worship or it can mean prayer. So constant prayer is turning toward God when He makes bids for our attention because faith causes us to interpret what is happening around us as a sign of God's movement, a sign that God is always working. What happens is we begin to see which once was invisible to us. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we see what we once did not. Prayer is restoring the connection between our hearts and God's heart. Now, here's how we're landing the plane. I said Psalm 89 has been my map, if you will, to God's heart, my scan of God's heart. Psalm 89 was a good place to begin. It gives me some pictures, righteousness, justice, love, wisdom. Today we'll close the door on Psalm 89 a little bit and we'll deal with faithfulness. And unless God is faithful, then none of the rest of those words mean anything, right? I think you'll agree. God is bidding for our faith. See, when I, I changed the word here, I said God's bidding for our attention and now I'm telling you God's bidding for our faith because that's what our attention is. God's bidding for our faith, and when we turn toward God, hold on to this one, we echo His faithfulness. Now, Mark chapter 11. What a great Scripture, and what a confusing Scripture. I dare say that this Scripture has been preached incorrectly as much as any in the Bible, and there is a danger I'll preach it incorrectly today. It's a very difficult Scripture to understand. I dare say that this Scripture is at the heart of the worst theologies being proclaimed across the Western world. The prosperity gospel is rooted in this Scripture. I dare say that this Scripture 
is as hard to understand the morning you read it in your devotions as any you'll run across. It will cause you to ask hard questions or better questions of the Bible, as one of my friends and I have been talking about here. So look at what Jesus said. Mark 11, 22 through 25. Let's just just read verse 22 together because it's so short. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Now, what was he responding to? The apostles were talking about what does it take to do a particular thing. You take a look at it. You can see the context. It falls after the story of the fig tree, by the way. So, this is a really fat, which Chris preached this summer. A really fascinating uh, piece. So, have faith in God, Jesus answered. Now, I don't know how you read that. In the king's traditional classic English, this would make more sense. But when I read that, here's what I tend to hear. Let me see if, if you track with me on this. I tend to hear, ooh, I got to do better on faith. Do you hear that? I, 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 I got to generate me some more faith. I got to gin up. Somehow, I got to manufacture more faith in order to do what Jesus is getting ready to say. Just have faith in God as though it were a commandment, but it's not a commandment. Neither is it a suggestion. It is an offering. Now, let's take a look at what Mark said. Now, I'm going to tell you something first, and that is that Mark is writing in Greek. Jesus spoke in Aramaic, which is common Hebrew. And so Jesus spoke, and here is what Mark heard, and also what other ones of the synoptic gospel writers heard. Mark heard, eshete pistenteu. That's the sentence, have faith in God. And eshete pistentheo, in today's use of language, the way we use it today does not mean just have faith in God, except it does mean that, because to have faith in God means that the object of the faith is not us, it's God. And so it's God and His nature that generate our faith. But the way we would hear it today is have faith in from God. And isn't that a very different thing? You can take a look at this yourself. I promise you that this is what the Greek says. Isn't this more like when your mom makes cookies for you? Does anybody, mom, has, God, God rest her soul if she is passed from the earth, but when you were young or whatever, maybe somebody else's mom, they make cookies for you. Can you raise your hand? Is there a cookie you know your mother for, a particular one that she made? There's a particular one for Debbie's mother. It's called a thumbprint. She must have made 10 gazillion thumbprints in the time I've known her because Debbie's grandmother used to make them. They're really, really good, and they're really, really fattening. My mom used to make these oatmeal raisin cookies. Man. So you bring out a hot batch of these. You picture in the cookie you love. You picture it in your mind, okay? And this hot plate comes out. You can smell it. They're warm, soft on the inside. You know what I'm talking about, Joseph? Do you? You don't? Your mom needs to make some cookies. Or your dad. So, or your grandmother. So we bring these cookies out, and she will say to you, son, have a cookie. Is it that she's saying you should possess more cookies? No. You should manufacture more cookies. No. Here they are. There's a whole huge batch of them. You can't possibly eat them all right now, though I've tested that theory. 
have one. And this is what Jesus is saying to his apostles. He's holding out his hands and he's saying, have faith from God. Receive it. Take it on board. Connect your heart to God's heart. Let it pour through. It's a grace gift. It's a free gift. It's an offering. And that's why Paul and the author of Hebrews expound on that by telling us we can't generate this. It's a gift from God. Not only that, but let me tell you something even more interesting that you'll miss in the English. So the word eshete, the word eshete, that word has as its root the word echo, echo. Now, this is really hard. It's really difficult, so you'll have to hang with me here. But there is a word we get from that in the English language. So in Greek, the word is echo, and in English, the word is, whoo, that was hard, wasn't it? I mean, this is one of those times where you know I know he's probably telling me the truth this time. Sometimes that Greek stuff gets me, but now I can get. It's where we get echo. And what it means is that, that a shete, that have, it means to receive and give back. There's a, a correspondence. There's a movement back and forth. You know what an echo is, right? You ever go into some place that that has, you can hear your voice come back to you. Have you shouted across a canyon or something like that? You ever done this? You know, um, I love the thing where you stand in a certain place in the capital and you whisper and somebody on the other side hears, hears what you're saying, you know, because your voice echoes off the ceiling. Um, there's a tunnel called Pawpaw Tunnel, which you should hike sometime. It's close to... Uh, to the church retreat center, and the staff's been there a bunch, and our family's been there. Whenever we go in there, I always holler and hoop and look like a total idiot, which I am. And everybody, everybody goes, man, would you stop? And I go, oh, it's so cool you can hear yourself. And, you know, it's an echo. And echo also is when you're at a family gathering, maybe Thanksgiving or something like that, you know, and somebody says something across the table, and then the same person, somebody across the table repeats exactly the same thing. And you go, thank you, Captain Echo, or whatever it is that you say. My mom, the way she used to do this, she had a song. She still uses it. So my dad frequently will repeat somebody something somebody's just said, and my mom will go, little Sir Echo, how do you do? Does anybody know this song except my mother? I thought maybe in this service there'd be somebody out there, I know that song. So you don't want to hear that song sung to you. But what Jesus is saying here is echo God's faithfulness back to him. You receive it and you speak it back in the same language, in the same tongue, with the same passion and love and grace. So when you have faith, it is a reflection of God's faithfulness. Does this make sense? It pours into you and it goes back to God. And there's so much of it, it also goes through every part of you and to everything around you. That's what faithfulness is and that's what it does and that's what Jesus is saying. Have faith in God. Receive faith from God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, he pointed at one. There are theories about which one it was if you ever go to the Holy Land. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it shall be done for them. Now, do you struggle with that one a bit? 
Correct me if I'm wrong. To my knowledge, not one single human being, even Jesus, ever said to a mountain, move, and it moved. David Copperfield faked it, but nobody has done it. Am I right? The mountain never actually moved. And that's because Jesus is speaking an idiom here. Sometimes I, I marvel that people speak an idiom themselves, but they don't think anyone in the Bible ought to. But Jesus is fully attuned to his culture, the people who are listening to him. And in Hebrew tradition and culture, it's even in the Old Testament, by the way, to say that a mountain is moved or thrown into the sea means that a major obstacle has been removed by God's power and grace. We might be the ones carrying the shovel, but the mountain that was in our way is moved. And what Jesus is saying here is that if you're receiving and echoing the faith from God, then you'll be asking God that obstacles to fulfilling His will, to pleasing Him, to glorifying Him will be removed. And those things that fall on your path of faith before you, He will find a way to get out of your way. He will do that every time. He will do it dependably. He will do it faithfully. But this does not mean that you can just whatever you want to request. If you're asking out of your human desire, Lord, give me a $5 million oceanfront home. I believe it's going to happen. Name it and claim it. No, that is not what Jesus is saying. What he is saying is that when you run into a wall, God can take care of that wall. Does this make sense? When you see a dead end, what God sees is an open door, an opportunity, a possibility for Him to move in such a way that you understand His nature all the better. Therefore, I'll tell you, Jesus continued, whatever you ask for in prayer. See, it's not whatever you ask for. It's whatever you ask for in connection with God, in prayer, in honoring Him and worshiping Him. Remember that that's what the word means? In turning toward Him. Believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. What is it that you're not doubting then? What you're not doubting is God's faithfulness. What you are not doubting, what you refuse to doubt is that God is moving and acting and already has been moving before you ever catch up with Him and figure it out. What you're not doubting is God's love. What you're not doubting is God's grace. What you're not doubting is God. You may doubt yourself quite a bit. You may doubt the circumstances quite a bit. You may doubt that you'll ever be anything but as depressed as you feel right now. You may doubt that you'll never be able to fix what is broken in your life right now. You may doubt that you will never, ever be able to cross this hurdle. But while God may never actually take the obstacle or the mountain away, He will get you over it. He will get you to the other side. He will do it because He is faithful and because He fulfills His word. Amen? Amen. Have you found this to be true like I have? Man, sometimes I'm just, I can't even figure out how it's going to, how possible. God finds a way. Sometimes it's giving me the capacity to accept and be more patient. And sometimes, man, God moves in ways that I just go, ooh, I didn't see that coming. Did you believe in your heart 
that you've received it, and it will be yours. I believe in my heart I've received heaven. Do you? Will be yours. I believe in my heart I will be raised from the dead and walk to a new heaven and a new earth. Do you believe that? Believe it, and it will be yours. I believe that my life can honor and glorify God despite my failings. Do you believe that that's true for you? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Now, look at this. This is really cool. People miss this, I think, and the reason I think is because I missed it. And when you stand praying, wait, what? You do recognize that there are two biblical postures for prayer. This is consistent from Genesis to Revelation. From beginning to end, there are two postures for prayer. There's another one for praise, which is the lifting of hands. If you ever hear the word sung hallelujah and your hands aren't up, you aren't being biblical. But the posture for prayer is contrition, and it is either kneeling or lying flat on your face prostrate. But Jesus says when you stand praying, I think he's talking about constant prayer here. What do you think? I think he's saying as you traverse the day. As you walk the street of every day, as you move from minute to minute to minute, as you're walking around, you're praying to God, you're keeping your heart connected to Him. As you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And you go, wait, that's a weird fragment. Where did that come from? That doesn't seem related to the mountains God is moving. But do you want me to tell you how often the mountain for me is my incapacity to forgive someone? or myself. Not only that, but what Jesus is saying is, look, I've given you all the faith you need by grace. It's a grace gift. It's a love gift to you. Now, if you want to prove you've received it, then you offer that same grace gift to others by which they may very well receive faith. Does this make sense? It all does tie together. Jesus knows what he's doing when he puts these words together. It's a block to be held to as a whole part, as a whole piece, and it is about God's faithfulness echoed by faith in our lives that can even, by the magnification of the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus Christ, become faithfulness. I can be faithful. I can by the power of God. I can be faithful. I can by the movement of the Holy Spirit. Now, Whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that God is already moving, and it will be yours. How many of you have been reading or hearing lately about a little school in central Kentucky that many of us who are church historians have known about for years? The name of the school is Asbury. It's a Methodist school, but we won't hold that against them. It's a Methodist school. It's a wonderful little Christian college. The intriguing thing about Asbury is that a revival on the Asbury campus has on several occasions been a harbinger of revival in the broader culture, the United States of America and the Western world. Did you know that? For example, look up the Asbury revival of the 1970s, which led to the Jesus movement, just a little before it. On February the 8th, a group of students came to compulsory chapel like they'd done a million times before. 
And as they sat in that chapel, the same things happened on that day that happened on every other day of compulsory chapel. Those present report that the music was no better than usual and the preaching was no better than usual, just like Sunday for you. Just another day. Nobody had prepared anything in particular to be done as a response to that chapel. There is no evidence of a single act of collusion. Not one single text was sent out that anybody can find, and it's been researched. Nothing was on social media. No student said, hey, I've got an idea. Let's do something different today. But something happened at the end of that chapel service on February 8th, almost two weeks ago. Nobody moved. It never happens here, and I understand it. If I'm a couple of minutes over, you're looking at your watches. There, they were like, nobody moved. The pros like Chris, Butch, me, people like that, they didn't know what to do. They said, Let, we'll do a little encore. So they came back on, they did a little encore. They said, you guys go to class, good to see you. They got off the stage. You want to know how many students left? None. They're still there. Did you hear me? They're still in that room. As far as I know, unless it's changed since early this morning, they're still in that room. Now, granted, some of them have left to get a bite to eat. Some have left to go. Some, they, they leave. They come back for a few minutes. But there has not been one time that that, in fact, they're afraid to leave because not only is that chapel, I think about the size of this sanctuary, not completely full, they have had to open auxiliary places on campus because more and more students from all across the country are coming to join what is now being called the Asbury Revival. They're coming from all. Now, this is the faithless generation. This is the missing generation, the lost generation. Something happened, and nobody quite understands it because you can't understand it always exactly. People are trying to shoot this down everywhere. Just take a look. Look at social media. Twitter's a good place to start. It's fascinating. One woman who is supposedly an authority in Christian circles, she showed a video that disproved that it was true. Here's what happened in that video. What happened is after the pastors and the worship leaders got off the stage, the students just started coming one by one and offering their testimonies. They're still doing it. They're still doing it. And one exchange student, an immigrant, a foreign exchange student who could barely speak English got onto the stage and with tears in his eyes talked about how Jesus had sustained him. He said he had no money. He didn't even know how he was going to pay for his meals the next day. But Jesus had taken care of him every step of the way. That was his testimony. And as he was testifying and as he was weeping, money started to be thrown onto the stage from the balcony. You watch the video. It's incredible. $100 bills, $50 bills, $20 bills, $1 bills. Bills just started coming. This woman said, see there? That's evil and wicked. Are you kidding? People of faith see that evidence differently. What I know is that if God gets a hold of your heart, he will also get a hold of your wallet. I know this because he got a hold of mine. I know that if God is connected to your heart, you give freely and easily because freely you receive, freely you give. Am I right? So when I see that, I just go, wow. No human being would logically do that. But because students are poor, not as poor as we used to be, but they're poor. And yet they're willing, willing to give whatever they have for this guy they probably barely even know who just has need. 
And this is what happened, friends. Those people walked into the room, and sometime in their collective conscience while they were sitting there, those 18 and 19-year-old, 17, 18, and 19-year-old kids perceived that God had been moving, and they caught up with Him. That's what happened. They believed in their hearts that God was at work, that God was moving. Isn't there a reason why we call it following God's will? It's always out in front of us, right? It's always up here, and we're trying to catch up and join God in what He's doing. And what enables that to happen is the faith that God pours into us and that we echo back to Him. Oh, my friends. Hear it as though Jesus were saying it. Have faith. Here. Have it, please. Take it. It moves mountains. Here. Have faith from God. It's a precious gift. And it will change the way you see everything in your life. Have it. Turning toward God in constant prayer is gaining the power to envision the best that God has for any moment. I can't imagine anything more powerful. That is hope. So learning to lean toward God in constant prayer is receiving the presence of the one who is faithful, even God. Solomon said, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, glorify Him. And he will make your paths straight as you follow. Above all else, guard your heart. Everything you do flows out of it. And when our heartbeats are synchronized with God's, anything is possible. Heavenly Father, we see your open hands. And because you've loved us so much, because your word has never failed, and because you've been so consistent, because you are so faithful, we will open our hearts to you and we will receive the faith that you desire to give us. And we'll echo it back to you. And this conversation of the faith in our heart, the faith in yours, the faithfulness that is engendered by this conversation, we will live inside of that conversation in the power and the mercy and the grace of your love. And we will believe even in the darkest moments that you are moving, have been moving, and will move. We will believe even this. When mountains fall across our paths, because the tectonic plates of our life and our world have shifted. If we trust you completely, you will move them and enable us to continue to walk forward until that day.
that we stand with you and we glorify you every second of every minute of eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord, give us faith that like you, we might be faithful in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, together we are all new. We are all in and we are all out. You go ignite passion for Jesus Christ from Metro Washington to the world. Have a faithful week. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Metro DC area, we would love to worship with you at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about all the incredible things happening at Columbia, go to columbiabaptist.org. That's columbiabaptist.org.